Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. So maybe you're here today and you're kind of like, man, there's a lot of balloons. They, they, you know, all of a sudden they're doing some, you know, some switching over to the atrium and doing some, you know, it's just an extra special day. What is, the, you know, what is really happening? Maybe you're asking uh, this question. Maybe you've been asking this question. Why do we make such a big deal out of groups? Maybe you've had that question, maybe over the season, this, you know, through COVID, maybe you've been here long enough to know that there has been a transition, an emphasis put onto life groups. And maybe you've asked yourself, I wonder why we're putting so much attention into life groups. And I'll tell you, we really are. We really are from in Tiny Valley, talking with Pastor Cece, Pastor Ty, Pastor Heidi, Pastor Dan. We have all agreed that small groups is by far the most effective method for us to grow disciples, to make um, disciples. So if you've had the question, yes, yes, life groups are very important to us. And I think we all agree we will be better because of it. Now, in Matthew um, chapter 28, the last two verses of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives us what we call the Great Commission. And he says to go into all of the world and make disciples to go and make followers of Christ, go and grow and cultivate godly leaders. So here at, here at our church, we say the same thing. We've kind of tried to modernize it a little bit, but, but this is what we say. We are about leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's so special to me because we all have a different starting point. And our job as a church, the very heart of our church is to come alongside you wherever you are, and help you get to where God wants you to be. And we believe there is a place that God wants to take you. We believe that God has a journey for you, a very unique journey for you. And we're just thrilled to be a part of it. Group leaders, you see them, they're wearing baseball shirts. They believe in this vision. They want to come alongside of you and shepherd you and lead you to the place that God has for you. And here's the truth. The truth is this that we all tend to live fairly isolated. I know, we're in a great, big, beautiful room this morning, yet there are still some who feel all alone. It's amazing, and can I just say this? We can't blame this on COVID. We had this condition before COVID. Like, we have been feeling isolated far before COVID, right? COVID just sort of surfaced things that we can learn from, but we have felt alone, like we're going through life alone, right? And so, so maybe this idea of healthy groups. Healthy groups become a lifeline to those of us when we face challenges. And I'll say this, when you face challenges and you're alone, it is so difficult. But we will all face challenges. The, you know, a healthy life group gives you this, this true picture of life, like you're, you're living life with other people. You're challenged. You are encouraged, right? You are stretched. You're growing spiritually. Here's what we believe. What's the most effective way for us to grow disciples? Here it is. Groups are the most effective method of discipleship. Can I say that again? You're going to hear me say this a lot today because we believe it. We believe it. This stuff is in our bones. Groups are the most effective method of developing followers of Christ, 
of growing godly leaders. Can I show you a video clip? Can I show you a video clip from someone right here in our own church? How, how life groups made a significant impact in her life when she faced one of the greatest challenges that she faced. Take a look. My husband Randy and I have been in a life group for three and a half years. We're all, turns out, about the same age, same kind of stage in life. There's three of us that were becoming new grandmas for the first time. We had the, the due date looming. It was a, um, our little grandson was gonna be born the day before my birthday. And I thought, how perfect is that? Maybe he'll come on my birthday. Everything abruptly stopped September 21st, 2019. And my husband heard me pick up the phone and, oh, hi, honey. And my voice changed because she didn't greet me in the usual way. She said, Mom, I don't know how to tell you this. Um, I have no idea how to tell you this, but we lost the baby. It, it is one of those moments where time just kind of stops and there are no words and you have the sickness inside of you that, you know, nothing, no words will make a bit of difference and it, it will hardly touch their pain. But I said, we're coming over. Um, and she goes, okay, there's my little girl, big and pregnant and having to spend the night with this, this baby who's no longer alive inside of her. There's no words, just sat there and held her. Baby was born about 22 hours after labor started and he, he was perfect. And so we all held hands and said our goodbyes to little Eddie. You go home after something like that and you, you don't know how to pick up your life. Like, what do you do next? Pain is pain and you can't just get over it and just trust God and everything's gonna be all right. Sometimes I felt God's presence comforting me and other times you, you feel very much alone in the middle of the night. You can't do this alone and you have to have people around you to remind you what truth is. You know, I'm lost in my own grief and just so sad for my daughter. So on this journey, I felt like I, you know, I could trust these people. I know these people. Um, I love, love our, my friends. And so, just brutally honest, like I would come in and we'd have a time of kind of sharing, you know, how things are going. And I was wrestling, like I would wrestle with the nature and character of God. I know what he says about himself and I believe it, you know, in my head, but my heart, it's easily deceived, I think, that we can get caught up in our pain and it cast doubt maybe on the goodness of God, on the, the love of God for me, his, his good will. So I would, I would share some things that were hard, like, but the maturity of our friends and their faith, they would listen and they would literally be um, Christ listening and accepting and not judging. And I would be met with compassion and um, maybe not all answers, you know, but just being with our friends and knowing that it was a safe place to share my journey. If you have an opportunity to join a group of other believers, you know, God's gonna use His Holy Spirit and His gifts of the Holy Spirit to, to minister to any of you, whatever may come. If you have an opportunity, um, try to find a group like that. And we just want to also thank 
thank you to Carolyn for allowing us to share your story this morning. And for those who have been a part of a godly community and have faced a challenge um, in your life, you would bear witness that uh, the strength and the growth that comes from a healthy life group is, is unmatched. It's, it's amazing how a life group can come together and truly help, support, courage, foster, cultivate great things in our life. Today, we want to shine a very bright light on life groups and do our very best to convince you like this is a very good step for you. This would, this would ensure some spiritual growth in your, uh, in your life. And so here, here, once again, here's what we know. We know that spiritual growth happens most effectively in smaller groups. And when I think about this particular statement, here's what I know. Cedar Valley has a very rich history. And in that history are classes, right? There are some great, I've heard stories of Pastor Neil teaching classes. There are teachers all throughout this congregation, spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of teaching. Many have that gift. And we know that classes, they, they really are great. You know, you have teachers teaching. We have a lot of knowledge that we've gained. And, and classes have truly made a tremendous impact right here um, in this church. But here's what classes don't provide. Classes don't provide opportunities that small groups provide. Even, you know, you know, listen to this. Universities, high schools, middle schools, elementary schools. You know what they're all doing? They're making adjustments. They're making adjustments to interactive learning. You know what that really is? They're learning in smaller groups because they've learned that they're more effective. That's just a more effective way to grow. And what we want to do is we want to tap into the most effective possible way to develop godly leaders, to, to disciple one another. We need to disciple and we need to be discipled. And so I heard Neil referencing this story and I thought that's a great thing. I'm going to reference that. When you chew your food, when you take your time, when you eat a meal and you put the food in your mouth and you chew it and chew it and take your time and you swallow it, it allows the body to absorb the nutrients which promotes growth. However, when you scarf down your food, you chew it very, very little. As fast as it goes in is as fast as it exits. And there really is no nutritional benefit to that meal. Small groups provide us an opportunity to chew the scripture to chew through the things that we are wrestling with, with God, to allow other people to pour into our life, to chew it with one another, and then to take it in and allow the nutrients, you know, to allow your body to absorb the nutrients. That's the approach of small groups. It's a slower approach. It involves more people, it promotes discipleship, and that's exactly what we want to do. Now, we're just getting to our primary text. If you don't mind, stand to your feet. Open to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 42 through verse 47. Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And if you're looking this up electronically, I'll be reading out of the NLT um, translation. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it reads like this. 
All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for today. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to come and to chew on your word, to allow this word to get into our system and provide nutrient for our soul. We thank you for that, God. Uh, today, we just commit this time to you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, in a way like only you can. Thank you for our group leaders. Bless their sacrifice and commitment. Thank you for every ministry leader in this church, and thank you for every person in this room. In Jesus' name we pray and together. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now let me just back up a moment and just kind of unfold this sequence of events as we look to the scripture to help us understand the value of learning in smaller Groups. Now we have Jesus born in a manger. Fast forward 30 years or so and you have Jesus with his 12 disciples. It would be fair to say this was Jesus's small group. If Jesus was here today, he'd be wearing a baseball shirt with maroon sleeves and a lanyard around his neck. And he'd be texting his 12 and saying, are you here? Just like every group leader does every Sunday morning. Are you coming? Is there anything I can do to convince you to come to church today? Please, are you coming to group this week? Jesus had his small group, right? Now Jesus crucified, Jesus dies. Now Jesus appears to his disciples, right? And then we get to the point where he says to his disciples, I must go and I want you to wait because I will send you the Holy Spirit, right? So now we have about 120 gathered in the upper room and they are waiting on the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes to be with his father and 10 long days later, then you hear the Bible says the sound of a mighty rushing wind, right? And we know that that wind is the same breath that hovered over the ocean, over the seas in Genesis, right? The same breath that gave flesh to the bones in the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, right? The same breath that breathed life into your life is now the same wind, the same breath in the upper room. And now they are all speaking in different tongues, in different languages, it's amazing what's taking place, right? The, you know, the, the Bible talks about this experience taking place in the book of Acts. And now the same Jews, and by the way, can I just stop and say, that was like the first picture of the real house party. Like, there, there's the real house party right there. That's, if you want to know where did house party come from, house party came from right there. Like, there ain't no house party like a Holy Ghost party because of... Oh, come on, y'all, can we do it one time? Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. Y'all want to do it one more time? All right, ready? Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. 
The first house party, right? That's the first house party right here in Scripture. Don't question the house party. Right? And then the say, do I just need to stop? Do you want me to call Neil up? Are we getting out of control, Neil? I got people in the back saying, Brad, are you? So now the same Jewish leaders, these self-righteous men are now, you know, the ones that crucified Jesus are now gathering around watching this unfold. They're watching this unfold. And I would imagine there would be a fear in those 120 because they know these men are the ones that crucified Jesus. Now they're going to associate us with Jesus. I wonder if some things can come from that. But they're lost in their own party, right? These Jewish leaders are on the outside actually looking in, saying they're mocking them. They're saying, it is 9 o'clock in the morning, and all these people are drunk. Look at these guys. 9 o'clock in the morning, they've lost their mind. And then Peter, the same Peter that just a few days earlier, a few weeks earlier, you remember the same Peter that denied Jesus? The same Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with boldness and courage, stands before these people, these Jewish leaders. And he, in my opinion, preaches the greatest message ever scripted. You can read it in the book of Acts. You can read this in, in, in uh, uh, let me see, the book, chapter 8, verse 14 through 36. He just begins to deliver this message. Matter of fact, you know, the, these Galileans had a speech impediment. Like they were, they were also made fun of, you know, the way they speak. When I think of that, I think of like people from New Orleans. Like you're like, what did you say? Say that one more time. Like you, you forgot a few vowels in that. You know, so, so they're also looking at these Galileans. If you're from New Orleans, I'm sorry. I'm digging a hole this morning. They're looking at these Galileans and, and they've actually started to have this thought like, look at how eloquent these Galileans are actually speaking another language. Peter is speaking this message boldly, the gospel message. He is preaching Jesus to the same men who crucified Jesus. And I love what happens in verse 37. The Bible says this, that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And then they asked him this, those same Jewish leaders, when Peter gets to the end of his message, when their hearts have been pierced by the Holy Spirit, they asked Jesus this question. What should we do? We've heard. We now believe. What should we do? I think it'd be fitting for us to take a moment and ask the same question with all that we've learned, with all that we've gained, with all that others have poured into our life. Maybe a proper question this morning would be, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? And Peter responds and says this, repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Repent. That's not how you make your way back to God. That is making your way back to God. You are back with God when you repent. Repent is stopping in your tracks. Stop your behavior and walk in the other direction. Be baptized. Go public with this. Make a public declaration of what God has done in your heart. Let the world know and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that way he will empower you to go and do this very thing.
And what would follow, we see in Scripture, would be the very birth of the local church and what I think is a very dynamic model for small groups. Let's look at this together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. We'll just kind of go through these quickly so we can move um, forward. Let's start in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. The word devoted jumps off the screen for me because they had a life filled with priorities. They suddenly came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and this became highest priority. Listen, when Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of your life, with all the priorities you have today, listen, it is best that he becomes the highest priority of your life. life and now you are fully devoted to him but I also love this fellowship because it really means living life together like they were devoted to what the scripture said but they also lived life together they shared in meals and they prayed together let's go to verse 44 and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had can you see community community Community, comunidad. Can you see this coming together? Now they're sharing life together. They're sharing meals together. They're gathering together. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Can you see the burden being shared amongst the believers, amongst the groups? Can you see community? Busy people with now a new priority, devoting themselves to this stuff. And they're growing. They're growing together. They're growing closer to Jesus, which is exactly what our heart's desire is for every single one of you, that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus and grow in godly community with others. The following verse says, they worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes. I told you this was a dynamic model for life groups. They met in hopes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now they're calling each other. Hey, you hosting tonight? You hosting tonight? We're coming. We're coming. You do the Bible study. I'm bringing some friends with me. This is awesome. It's amazing. I love what happened last week at Life Group. I loved it so much. I invited some people to come with me this week. Are you ready? What can I take? What do you want me to do? Can you see this model unfolding? And then we fast forward. We fast forward to Acts chapter 8. Actually, let's go to one more. Fast forward a few chapters in the book of Acts. And Stephen has just been stoned. And now so now that Stephen is stoned, see, see apostles had already been persecuted. Now persecution was going to go to all believers, anybody, follower of Christ. Persecution is coming your way. And so what happens is this. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church, the body of believers, the people in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions. All of a sudden, persecution comes. Challenge comes. And as a result of that, they are scattered throughout the nation, scattered, no longer together, no longer in community. 
We all know what that feels like when you are scattered, when you are disconnected. COVID gave us a great example of what happens to the spirit, what happens to the soul, what happens to our life when we are disconnected from other people. Right? This great wave of persecution comes. The disciples stay put, but the people are scattered. Let's go down, verse 4. But the believers, the believers who were scattered, who were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Isn't it amazing how they actually began to do what they had been doing? Like this small group changed their lives forever. This stuff was in their bones. It was in their bones so much that when they were scattered and under persecution, they continued to tell the gospel message. Can I tell you that small groups provide you an amazing strength and guidance? Let me say it this way. The most effective discipleship happens in small groups. The most effective discipleship happens in small groups. Consider this. Consider, let's consider a surgeon for just a moment. To be a surgeon, four years to get your bachelor's degree, four years more to get your MD. And then you've got to get into a residency, residency program, four to seven years or so. Not sure how familiar you are with residency, but residency is when you get in a small group and you are under a doctor, under his supervision. You work with the doctor. You have some liberties to work as a doctor, but you don't make, you don't make decisions and you don't do any surgeries. You're learning. It's kind of like what happens on a Sunday morning, right? We have a teacher, a wonderful teacher of the house, and we're here to learn, to absorb, so we can take what we're learning and implement it in the homes all across. And you'd be proud to know that we have a life group meeting every night of the week around the cities, out of Cedar Valley. That's amazing. You can be praying for that. Every night of the week, you know there are life groups gathering all throughout the cities. That's kind of what happens on Sunday. Like we're like, we're residents and our teacher comes and shares with us and we learn how to communicate the word of God and we, and we, we absorb the nutrients. We chew it the best that we can in this setting. We absorb the nutrients and we take it and we deliver it to other people. Isn't it amazing how surgeons even use the small group model? You know why? Because it's so effective. Because the residents go back later away from the doctor and they have like, man, did I, I really messed this up today. I knew better. I remember learning that. But when it was, I got nervous and they have conversations together, just like we kind of do in small groups and we're at, at the house. I'm wrestling with that. It's so tough. I mean, I believe what the Bible says, but it's tough. I've got someone in that, in that scenario and it's just, man, it's pulling on my heart. I need you guys to pray with me. Or, you know, I was diagnosed recently with this and I, I just want my small group to come around me and help me believe for my health. You know, those of you that sit in life groups, you know, you understand the value of gathering together every single week. If you're only doing Sunday mornings, it will not sustain you. It will not sustain your spiritual life. You will grow slowly. The most effective way to grow your spiritual life is to do so in smaller groups. Consider this. Sled dogs. We're in the frozen north, baby. This is what we do in just a few more months. I'm getting my dogs ready so I can get to church in the morning. Don't hate when you see me coming to church with my dogs. Sled dogs. 
I was watching all kinds of different documentaries on sled dogs and I learned something that stuck with me. It's like in my head and in my heart. This guy was behind his, his sled and he said, out in front, I've got my leaders. The ones closest to me are the ones that help me turn and the ones in the middle are training. He goes, what those dogs do, what those dogs do in the front and in the back, what they do to train those dogs in the middle, it, it would take me forever to train them to do. They are the best trainers. They're the ones that teach him how to run. They're the ones that teach him how to obey commands. They're the ones that teach him work ethic. And I'm like, sled dogs, huh? I love me some sled dogs. You know that they eat somewhere like 12. This is how I know I'm a sled dog. 12,000 calories a day. That's their diet. 12,000 calories a day. You know that a sled dog can run three marathons in one day and do that for 30 days straight? I'm a sled dog, baby. I'm a sled dog. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. As a matter of fact, it's... Look, let me just... Look, and, and this, look at the diversity. You got the big brown dog right there running. We're a diverse pack of sled dogs at Cedar Valley Church. And just side note, don't leave your culture at the door. Bring it in this house. If you ever feel like that itch to get, when they were singing better now and you're like, I saw there was a brother up there somewhere up there and he, during worship, I'm like, brother, bring that down here. Like, we want to see this. Like, we're better together, right? We are better together. We all agree with that. We do agree with that. It's football season. And, and I just, it's time to go, baby. We now have a mascot at Cedar Valley Church. We are the Cedar Valley Sled Dogs. That's who we are. We are the Cedar Valley Sled Dogs. How many want to play for the Cedar Valley Sled Dogs? We've got football, we've got baseball, we've got basketball, and we've got running, marathons. That's what we do. Tryouts later on tonight. And just so you know, you can make your purchases online. <laughs> hey, hey, just back to somewhat of a serious note. Here's what we know is true after today. Running with a pack is the most effective way to be discipled and to disciple other people. There's something about getting harnessed up with other dogs and saying, I will run with you. We will run this thing together. We will run together. And when you feel weak, I'll carry some of your weight, but we're going to keep running together. We are harnessed together. It's such a beautiful thing. It really is a beautiful thing. You've got these dogs who've been running for 12 years, and you've got these dogs who are two years old learning how to run. To me, that's a beautiful picture of Cedar Valley Church. We've got some amazing lead dogs in this church. You've been running in Next Step 1. Just last week, just last week, when I asked everybody to introduce themselves, one lady said, I'm celebrating 50 years of serving Jesus today. 
And I'm like, girl, you are a lead sled dog. You get out in front and I want to harness up next to you because I want to get to the point where I say I've been serving Jesus for 50 years. Listen, you are better when you learn from somebody else. You are better when you harnessed up with somebody else and you say, teach me how to run. I want to have your pace. I want your faith. I want to have the kind of faith like you. I want to stand strong when tragedy strikes my home. I want to face challenges the way you face challenges. I want to be generous like you. I want to harness up next to you and run next to you. I want to grow up to be like you. That's what Cedar Valley small groups are all about. You're better when you're packed up with somebody else. You're better when you are harnessed up with another couple dogs who are teaching you how to love Jesus with your whole heart, how to serve him with your whole life, how to put him at the top of your priority list of every single category of your life. Our big so what? Run in a pack, you'll never look back. Run in a pack, you'll never look back. Run in a pack, you'll never look back. And today you have this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Wonderful opportunity to do this very thing. Choose your pack. Do not leave today saying, great message, not for me. My personality, I do life better by myself. That's a lie from Satan himself. You need to be in a pack. You don't see no sled dog. There's no such thing as a sled dog. He don't got the strength. He can't do it by himself. It takes 10 to 12 of them. It takes 10 to 12 of them. Choose your pack today. Go to the website. Find your group. If you don't find one there, come see me. We will figure out a way to get you into a group, harness you up, and get you on your way. Because the most effective discipleship happens in the context of small groups. Amen, everybody? All right, we're going to transition in to do something very special for our group leaders. I'm going to invite Pastor Neil to come and lead us in that. So good. Everybody rub your stomach like this. Feel like you've eaten? Go ahead, rub the stomach of the person next to you. It's okay, it's church. Rub it. It's all good. Big brown bear, love that. So good. So here's what we're going to do for a little transition. I'm going to call all life group leaders right now come up on the platform come up with me come on you might be a tiny valley group leader you might be in kids church you might be an adult leader you might have a seniors leader group you might be one of our support group leaders come up on the platform right now man how awesome is this keep coming keep coming down from the balcony we'll wait for you You might have been out in the lobby. All the life group leaders. So this is what we got for you. We got these bracelets for the life group leaders. And this is fun. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus has already been crucified and he died. And now he's raised from the dead. He's resurrected. And two times already he's appeared to his disciples. And now he appears to them a third time. Remember this? And... Jesus tells them to throw out the net, and they throw out the net, and they, they're catching fish, and they're eating, and, and uh, Jesus pulls Peter over, which I always love, and he says to Peter, Peter, you love me? And Peter looks like shocked. Look at me now. Jesus, you know I love you. And then he just says to Peter, feed my sheep. Then he asks him a second time, Peter, you love me? 
Like, Jesus, you know I love you. He says, tend the flock. And he asked him a third time, Peter, you love me? Oh, yeah. Jesus, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And that word feed is the word bosco. It's the Greek word bosco. And it really, it really means this. Look out for their spiritual well-being. Look out for their spiritual welfare. And so we have this bracelet for you, and it just simply says this. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Feed my sheep. That's what this says. It's in the Greek. It says, feed my sheep. Bosco. Look out for their spiritual well-being. And this is what we say to our life group leaders. We are asking you to assist us as a church to be leaders, to be shepherds, to look out for the spiritual well-being of the sheep that have been entrusted to you. Look out for their spiritual well-being. We say, feed the sheep. And we're asking you to take that seriously. We're, we're charging you with that day. So I'm going to ask Pastor Amos to come and to pray for you and to, to empower you. We're trying to equip you. We've got some special things that are going on just for life group leaders to equip you. And so we're going to pray for them. Pastor Amos is going to pray for them. And I'm asking you, church, to join with us. And if you're new, if you're a guest, if you're a visitor, this is our tradition. But as we pray, would you extend a hand that says, hey, I agree. I agree with you. This is a sign of blessing and a sign of agreement as we pray for the church. Amen. So, hey, can I get all the pastors? All the pastors, come up here up front with me, please. All the pastors, come up. Come out, worship team singers, you can come out in front too. This would be a great time to do that. Come on, pastors, come on, wherever you are. And let's face the people. I want you to pray. You know, let's pray for our group leaders this morning. Are you ready? Let's bow your heads. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your righteousness, your strength, and your wisdom. Lord, I know that you've called every single one of these group leaders for a specific purpose, and that you have graced them to walk in that purpose. Father, right now, we lift up our shepherds. God, we thank you for the vision that you've given them for their groups. We thank you that we get to be a part of the Cedar Valley community in which you are building. Father, give them continual strength, resurrection power, and deep understanding to teach your word and to do so in a way that drives religion out and brings relationship with you back as the center point and leads us all into community that brings real change in the world that we live in. God, we pray that our shepherds would operate in wisdom when it comes to facilitating, teaching, and leading your people. Give them wisdom the way you gave Solomon wisdom so that they would know how to lead your people with patience, compassion, and conviction. Lord, surround each of them with godly relationships, people they can trust and to be accountable to. Surround them with people to encourage them in your way, the right way, and the only way. Lord, we know that shepherding is not an easy responsibility, so bless them to do the work of the ministry in which you have called them and equipped them to do. God, give them your peace and let a refreshing fall over their hearts so that they can continue to go forth in your power and might Lord, give them clear direction and revelation as they study and lead and tend to your sheep. Protect them from those who would desire to harm them and steer them off course. Give them sharp discernment. Flow prophetically through them, Lord, so that your Holy Spirit would make clear the glory of God in their lives, in their relationships, and in the church that you are leading them to raise up. 
Thank you for our shepherds and the sacrifice that they give for our spiritual growth and maturity. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for our group leaders. In Jesus' name we pray. And together everybody said, Amen.